Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There's a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set blazing all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around. Before we run aground, we gotta turn this ship around. Before Welcome we to Off the Record with Paul Hooks here on WKXLA and FM. Streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, available as a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes for your binge listening pleasure. I'm joined by Chris Ryan, and we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224 one one one. Well, here we are. It's the end of another wonderful week in paradise. A snowstorm is coming, so buckle up your overcoats and get out your shovels and get in a good stock of brisket ribs and chili because the Pats are playing on Sunday. And meanwhile, down in could the you government- imagine what would happen if, like, the cable were to go out? On Sunday? Well, we are praying that in the midst of the blizzard on Sunday, we are praying Could to the cable gods. That? We're praying to the cable gods that we like, don't That's lose pretty our much power. my only concern. Like, I think we're all inclined to just kind of stay in, hunker down. But what if? What if for some reason? Oh, my God. I can't even. I, I, you're, you're giving me chills. Ajita? This is Ajida, 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 angst, Ajida. Yeah. In fact, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, because sorry, I brought it but up. But just imagine that I've got the ribs in the oven, You're right? Right. But luckily, I got a propane smoker outside. I'm going to use the propane smoker. smoker. The smoker. I'm going to use a <laughs> propane smoker there, and it's going to be just fine. Yeah. We're going to put the ribs in the smoker. So even if the power goes out, we're going to be able yeah, to eat, eat the ribs right. anyway. <laughs> I can't watch the pats, but I can uh, sit around and, and light a candle <laughs> and eat my ribs because I got a propane smoker. But so that's what folks yeah. uh, now I I'm I'm really not here to you know shill for the giant big box hardware stores but if you're worried if you're really worried preparedness is the thing to do disaster preparedness and there is no greater concept of a disaster than if the power goes out Sunday for the Pats game and the cable goes down yeah. what are we going to do You got to have a backup plan gotta you got to make sure your phone is charged Yep um, you you got to make sure your tablets and stuff are ready to go, and that you, you can. You know, I don't know how you're gonna get connected. The phone's probably the best way to go. You got to get ready. You got to get your phone. You got to get prepared. Get the apps. Make sure that you're ready to watch the game without the TV, just in case something happens. Because these are the type of <laughs> first girl problems that we have. These are the times that try men's souls. <laughs> 
<laughs> deep in the weekend's entertainment schedule. The power goes out, the cable goes down, and the men's <laughs> souls are tried. Back in the day, like they were like, oh, honey, I hope we're going to make it through the storm. Do we have enough blankets in order to stay warm so the kids are okay? It's going to be zero degrees out here. No. It's like, we got to make sure that the Pats, we got to make gotta sure get our Pats we game. can watch the Pats game. <laughs> I'm going to fire up the cell phone do we, have enough, do we have enough wood to make sure that we're going to have enough uh, I don't care about a fire. <laughs> we're going to cluster around my little iPhone 6S. We're going we're gonna to stream the cable Invite and fight the we'll neighbors. Fine, we'll be fine. I'm planning for every contingency. Now, look, there are some people who plan for nuclear disaster. They got <laughs> gallons of water, they got dried food, yeah. they got flashlights, they got it all in a ready to go kit so that they can evacuate to I don't know where to Vermont in case there's a real problem. But we're facing a bigger disaster. Chris Ryan is nothing if not a seer. He is, he is seeing in the future the kinds of issues we could face this very weekend. And I got to tell you, I'm sitting here shuddering because I don't have time for a full boat cable preparation. But I do have a cell phone and that's going to that that uh, modern technology is going to save us in the end. Yeah. But I've got or kill us. You know, I've got other issues on my mind. And, and I'm thinking about Rudy, 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 Rudy Giuliani went on CNN and he. He he started waxing as only Rudy does that that tooth sucking kind of kind of vampire approach to uh, to to an interview and in a what is can only be thought of as a stunning revelation he conceded that Trump's campaign manager may have colluded with Russia I don't think he did Trump. Any favors. He's supposed to be Donald Trump's lawyer protecting him. So now he concedes that Paul Manafort may have colluded with Russia. Now, folks, let's just remember the revelation this week was that Manafort shared polling data with a Russian lawyer who's the buddy of Putin. So now, in the end, Giuliani tries to excuse that by saying, ah. Just polling data. Everybody shares polling data with everybody. I mean, I always share my polling data with the Russians while they're trying to hack our elections. It's a normal business. It's not a problem. I think Rudy Giuliani has created a bit of a problem for his client because it completely contradicts everything they've been saying all along, which is there's no collusion. Well, I mean, they've steadily been moving towards collusion and they've been steadily the and Rudy Giuliani had said before the collusion wasn't a crime um so there's been there've been various uh, missteps if you want to call them that I, I don't know what Giuliani's doing I don't I don't quite understand that um as we've talked about before really you know the key to this whole case is is Manafort and and if the the Trump folks are in a difficult spot where they want to be able to keep Paul Manafort quiet whether it's he's telling the truth or not they want to keep him quiet they want to make him think that there may be a pardon at some point in time in his future so you don't want to get him upset so you don't want to do like you do with do you do with cohen and be like the guy's a liar he's a fraud he's 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 i don't know why i ever hired him i did a favor i shouldn't have done it you know the guy's an idiot uh and i can't trust him because you gotta you gotta keep manafort happy and you you gotta keep not happy but you want to keep keep the illusion out there that he may get a pardon because don't worry. the whole 
Be happy. Because the whole thing. Don't worry. The whole thing comes down to, to Paul Manafort. Because you assume that everybody else is involved is either a Trump kid or a spouse of a kid or... Um, there's very few individuals involved in this potential collusion who um, are actually going to turn on Donald Trump. Um, his lawyer in Michael Cohen has. But the big key is Manafort because Manafort, is, as I've talked about before, is the glue guy. He wanted to connect Russia and uh, Trump because he needed that to happen. Because he was $26 million in debt. He needed the money. Right. So he needed to make this happen. And he, he he colluded. There's no question. Like he he t- he tried to make it happen. He tried to set things up. Folks, the question you is, heard it the here question first is, from Chris the Ryan. Question is no backing up, no contradictory statements. Chris Ryan has determined that Manafort colluded. There is there is no question in my mind in regards to that. The question that exists is if Donald Trump was included in the decision-making. What did he know and when did he know it? And the only person who is going to be forthcoming in regards to that, who is working with Mueller at this point and can connect everything, is Paul Manafort. So the extensions that you see, everything that takes place, you know, uh, uh, Mueller may have evidence, um, but the guy that connects everything, because you're, I doubt you're going to find, you know, written notes and all those types of things. The and if you did, they probably would have been eaten by Donald Trump at this point. Um, the uh, I, I I ate the notes of my meeting with Putin. Um, Donald, Donald, where's your homework? I ate it. What what do you mean you ate your homework? I ate it for breakfast. I put it on my Kentucky fried chicken nuggets and I ate it. So Paul Manafort has to say, yes, I told Donald Trump I approved this with him. We brought um, the Russian lawyer uh, who met with us at Trump Tower up to see Donald Trump. Um, information was given about what we were going to receive from Russia um, and how the relationship was going to, to work in a broad sense. So Paul Manafort has to come forward with those revelations for, in my view, for the, the Mueller case to be, in essence, complete. Mueller may have all kinds of other evidence that nobody knows about. Right. Because, I mean, looking at the way Mueller's dealt with um, uh, Manafort, uh, he basically boxed him into a lie and further uh, issues for his conviction and sentencing uh, with evidence that Manafort didn't think he had. And the same may very well be true if I know uh, Bob Mueller and his background and his ability to... um, uh, to run a tight ship and run a uh, smart investigation. One of the issues, of course, we're facing in the United States of America now is that we've got this unprecedented um, issue in the White House with the specter um, that's like a James Bond movie. Yes, yeah, specter. specter. That, that, that is a James that Bond movie. That is a James <laughs> yeah. Bond movie. A specter of, um, of a president of the United States who is either unwittingly or wittingly a puppet of Vladimir Putin and the Russians, uh, which is a situation we've really never, never faced in this country, at least none that we've known of. And we have a nominee for attorney general of the United States, a person who's about to take over the oversight of the Mueller investigation, who so far has refused to commit to releasing the report that the special counsel will give. In full. Uh, well, what he's, he's, what he's basically relying on the following 
reasoning because of the rules we'll call them the rules at the justice requirement uh, at the justice department um uh deal with indictments the president may not uh, be susceptible to indictment while he's a sitting president. Therefore, uh, it's ambiguous whether or not there's an obligation to turn over the special counsel. Now, he report. said he was not going to release it to full um, in public. And I, I, I'm sure he was asked this, and I, I may have missed it, but was he But was he asked if he would release it in full to, to Congress? Wouldn't he be required to, to do that? And then he, if made he, w- no, he made no distinction as to who yeah. he would release it to because the people he would release it to or should release it to are, is Congress, who's got to make a decision on impeachment. Right. So what is likely to happen if he is confirmed is it's quite likely that what, what all that we see is – is Attorney General Barr's own summary of what exactly. Mueller said, and he would not be releasing any of the areas of potentially negative impact against the president because if um, having to deal with the rules around indictment. I mean, so then it's Mu- a catch-22. So it's the- essentially immunity is what he's promising. So, so then what does Mueller do in that? We have to get to your guest here but what does Mueller do in that spot because he can't he can't release it to the press right i mean he can't he he can't release it at all well we 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 do think that there are ways in which um uh uh things happen is all I'll say, yeah. and there may come a time when the New York Times will get it, its hands on right, that right but report. what's the what is the ramifications for you know for 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 Mueller in doing that. Well, look, I mean, I, I mean the ramifications obviously aren't yeah, as big look, as Mueller. Yeah. Mueller is an honorable guy. He's gonna he's gonna stick to the rules. But it is the reason why Adam Schiff and the intellig- and the intelligence committee are now pressing with subpoena power to to re- have a real investigation in the House. It's off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXL, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and call 224-9111. We'll be back after this to speak with Peter Emerson, international man of mystery and intrigue, about goings-on in Washington, D.C. and around the world. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge-listening pleasure. You can join my dozens of listeners and binge listen to all the past shows of Off the Record. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. I'm very pleased to be joined today by my good friend Peter Emerson, who I'm speaking with by telephone from Washington, D.C., where Peter is on the ground trying to make his way through the maze of the Capitol buildings, meeting and greeting members of Congress and the Senate to figure out what's going on in D.C. and keeping his eye on affairs around the world. Peter, welcome to Off the Record. As always, delighted to join you. So here we are in the middle of a partial government shutdown and stalemate with the garbage piling up in the national parks and to some extent in the halls of Congress. 
Um, what's going on around the world? What are people doing? What are they thinking? What are they seeing uh, in the United States that nobody's paying attention to, but you are? First and foremost, just as the dilemma here about trust, the trust of the president, uh, ability to have confidence in his word, in his pledge, in his commitment, holds true in Paris, France, Johannesburg, and Australia, talking to friends who serve in various governments around the world. The problem ultimately is, as it is here for even Republican senators, you can't trust Donald Trump. And if you can't trust, you can't negotiate. So consequently, whether it's the shutdown or a trade agreement or a bilateral agreement, no one, no one that I've spoken to anywhere in the world, including here in Washington, trust Donald Trump, which means that it's very, very difficult to reach any sort of deal because he's perfectly capable of walking away from it, changing it, reneging on it, or ignoring it all in a matter of minutes. Well, I mean, so we can't trust him. Okay, we, so, we, we, so we have a crook in the White House and we can't trust him. I don't get why anybody else in the world ought to be worried about it. Why doesn't the world just carry on without him as if the United States no longer mattered? To some degree that's happening. To some degree that's happening. And that's very, very uh, dangerous for the United States, whether it be intelligent sharing, which we rely on the French, the English, even the Australians and others, to share their intelligence with us uh, or with trade or other bilateral or multilateral agreements. So it puts the United States in the awkward position of having been, up until the election of Donald Trump, the preeminent leader in the world, the sort of the promise that America can provide what other even significant Western and oftentimes older democracies cannot provide, and that is the opportunity for tomorrow to be better for the children here than it was for their parents. That belief is gone for the majority of Americans now, and that belief is certainly gone for the majority of people around the world, and particularly with their governments, who simply are not going to risk their own national security or breaches of their national security simply because Donald Trump um, can't be trusted. Well, you know, I mean, the 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 this whole business of NATO and alliances is is kind of old hat anyway. I mean, we're America. We're we're the dominant power in the world. I mean, from Donald Trump's standpoint, we're the you know we're, we we invented McDonald's. We uh, invented Wendy's and Kentucky Fried Chicken. We 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 know how to play play football. We're we're dominant. We're we're it. Why do we need the rest of the world? I mean, let them stew in their own juices. I mean, we've got other fish to fry. We've got we've got oligarchs and autocrats to cozy up to, and we 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 want to be friends with people who understand power. People like Vladimir Putin. He understands power, and he knows how to he knows how to use it. And why why shouldn't America be part of a very a new kind of select club, and why do we need those little countries? They're so they're so small. I mean, they're so they're so small. I mean, really, France, Germany, England. I mean, they're small. They got their own problems, and we're we're going to solve ours. That they they've let millions of of these others 
in millions and millions who are doing all kinds of terrible things in their country, and we're going to build a wall and keep them out. So, so we know how, how to make things work, and why do we need the world? You're right. I know. You're absolutely right. I know. I know. I got it straight from I got it straight from the carrot top cantaloupe himself. We don't need we don't need the world. They need us, and that's where we want to be. And if they need us, it means we've got leverage, so we can impose whatever conditions on whatever deals we want to make with them. Because, you know, we're America, and they're not. Um, at least, in you know, I'm being somewhat facetious, but but that that is the attitude. Um, it's an it's an ignorant, uninformed, uh, simplistic, naive attitude, kind of, you know, the kind of thing that you might get from a first grader um, who uh, who 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 understands what it is to bully and be bullied. Um, and the world, I think, is a little more complex than that. It, it, the, the president or he who calls himself the president um, doesn't doesn't seem to understand the way the world works and the real reasons why alliances are are critically important as more and more in the 21st century as the world shrinks and we face global challenges it would seem to me that a rational approach is we need our alliances and our friends more than ever that's uh, certainly the attitude Unfortunately, the very people who share that attitude or have at least embraced the promise that Trump made when he came down the elevator at Trump Tower to make America great again are the ones that are suffering the most. Talking to hog farmers, soybean farmers, dairy people, in particular dairy farmers, uh, agricultural workers, even auto workers. These trade wars that Donald Trump has started have created uh, vast losses, both economically but also in jobs. And most ironically, the, I believe it's 2 or $3 billion that Trump got to help subsidize the uh, dairy farmers in particular, about $112 million of that's been delivered. But ironically, we borrowed that money. We borrowed that money from China. So consequently, what we're doing is we're saying to the dairy farmers, we will, substi- we will subsidize you to offset your losses, and we'll do so with money we've borrowed from China, but we don't want you to sell your milk or any of your uh, dairy products to China. Really quite extraordinary. It's an economic formula that's obviously headed for disaster. But sadly... At this point, the Democratic Party has offered no alternative to this promise to make America great again. And therefore, dairy farmers, auto workers, hog farmers, soybean farmers, and many others have nowhere else to go but to hold on even through this very painful period, and it's only going to get worse, to the belief that somehow Donald Trump may be able to do what he promised to do. I believe strongly that if the Democratic Party would provide safe harbor for them, so to speak, and give them something that's tangible and real, many of the Trump supporters would quickly leave because they're already being terribly, terribly damaged by Trump's ill-informed and almost seemingly 
uneducated and ignorant policies that uh, come out of emotion rather than out of an understanding of history and the complexity of how the world actually works. So I remember when I got to Congress and discovered that we were way upside down in terms of our trade deficit to the tune of many billions of dollars. I, I was surprised, um, freshman congressman, not having, frankly, paid as much attention as I might have before I got to Congress on issues of trade, uh, that we were upside down with a huge trade deficit. Uh, China, um, to, to, to provide not a counter but a, a sort of a coda to what you've just said, uh, for years China was in fact manipulating its currency. Uh, they, that trade deals with China were and have been, uh, or trading with China has been upside down. The flight of American manufacturing jobs to China's factories where there are no environmental or labor standards that are enforceable in any way have propelled our transition from an industrial powerhouse to a consumer society addicted to throwaway, throwaway goods, um, a, a society that wants to buy stuff uh, in order to propel the economy. Um, so there's a great attraction, uh, isn't there, for, for Donald Trump to say, we're finally going to put a stop to these practices by China. We're going to make sure that by imposing tariffs, we're simply making their goods more expensive here, and that's going to rebalance things. Why, why doesn't that argument work? Why, why isn't that a smart policy? All you need to do is talk to the soybean, dairy, and auto workers, um, because ultimately the world economy in the United States, along with China, is terribly interlinked. And second, yes, there's no doubt China has manipulated and has prohibitive uh, barriers to entry that the United States does not. For instance, if you want to start a restaurant here in the United States and you're an immigrant from China or anywhere in the world, you just go down to City Hall and you apply for a license and you can open a restaurant. You can't do that in China um, unless you're Chinese. Nonetheless, comma, there are ways to begin negotiation to try to um, create a balance, there's always going to be an imbalance. That's just the nature of the world and the nature of economies. Nonetheless, to take a sledgehammer to try to drive in a thumbtack on a plasterboard wall is insanity. And Trump's immigration policy, in fact, obviously would bring um, American agriculture to a standstill. Go to the Go to the valley in California that is the, literally the fruit and vegetable basket of America, and those farmers, those owners, rely on seasonal uh, immigration for their pickers, most of which is illegal. Or, if Donald Trump were so, so concerned about illegal immigration, then you would think he wouldn't have any illegal workers at any of his golf clubs or facilities, and well, yet he does. Of course. I mean, that's, that's, that he, he depends on uh, illegal immigrants uh, to, to do all the dirty work 
um, in his businesses that he ho- he always has. I mean, you know, he, it, it is no surprise that the president is not only a liar but a hypocrite. Um, that they they seem to go hand in hand, and it seems to be um, a, a specialty of this of the of this White House to the great detriment of our values and our alliances around the world. We're talking with Peter Emerson, an expert on world affairs, as well as a keen observer of the domestic scene. It's off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a very short short break and be back with more from off the record with Paul Hodes and our guest Peter Emerson. Don't go away. We're back. It's off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches calling 224-9111. And we're here with Peter Emerson by telephone from Washington, D.C., where he is keenly observing the comings and goings and the goings-on down there where the legislative branch is hard at work and also giving some thoughtful, thoughtful responses to the situation in the world today. Peter, um, it's primary season here in New Hampshire. And the circus has come to town. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand uh, announced on Colbert that she was running for president. And Elizabeth Warren has been to New Hampshire. Julian Castro's been to New Hampshire. Jeff Merkley's been to New Hampshire. Jay Inslee is coming to New Hampshire on Monday, the governor of Washington. There are lots of candidates considering the Democratic uh, nomination and the New Hampshire primary. There are in-the-box candidates. There are out-of-the-box candidates. There are, there are too many candidates to even to name in, in the program. I mean, there must be 20, 20 names floating around. The White House is under the specter of the Mueller investigation. They're now contending with something they've never had to contend with, which is a reinvigorated uh, House um, which wants to hold the White House accountable in all the committees uh, run by all uh, the friends I made in Congress, whether it's Adam Schiff in the Intelligence Committee, John Yarmouth in the Budget Committee, um, the Foreign Affairs Committee, Judiciary, the White House is is soon, if not now, under active siege. Uh, what, however, do Democrats need to do to win in 2020? Let's assume for the sake of this argument, that Donald Trump survives, that, uh, I mean, he's a remarkable survivor. It seems he's got an instinct um, for both crookery but also for survival. And uh, let's assume he survives. 
and that no uh, Republican or so-called Republican, I don't know if there is a Republican Party anymore, defects, um, and that he survives as the president and survives as the candidate uh, in 2020. I mean, who wins for Democrats and why? And what do Democrats have to do to overcome Trump in a general election? Democrats have to actually come up with a plan, and it has to be emotional, that assuages the fear and anger that so many Americans feel about their current condition. They have to come up with something that actually resembles a grassroots recognition that people are are struggling. That's number one. Number two, they have to just, unless the evidence becomes overwhelming, focus less on impeachment, which obviously has no chance of success currently in the Senate, where you need 60 votes for conviction, and focus entirely on what can be done to help Americans. You know, specifically their health and their jobs. So That's it, the big issue. There is the, a huge um, threat from Amazon, according to this remarkable author, Mr. Calloway, that the next largest and most opportunistic disruption of the American economy will be in healthcare, and that Amazon is planning to do that. That could be very beneficial to the wealthy and the well-off, and it could be very, very damaging to those that don't have those means. So could you describe for our listeners just a little more what you mean by this threat that Amazon uh, uh, poses to health care in terms of the disruptive nature? Amazon could, according to Mr. Calloway, as they have done in many sectors of the economy, come in and spend massive amounts of money simply because debt is not an issue for Amazon. Amazon ran huge deficits for over a decade and now has emerged as either the number one or number two most valued company in the world. They could come in and provide, they could cherry pick given their database, which is now probably one of the largest, if not the largest in the world, they could cherry pick their clients and offer those that have the least amount of potential risk a much better product than's currently offered. That would leave those that at a higher risk, either with pre-existing or just based on the data analysis of what they eat, their weight. I mean, it's extraordinary what data now provides about almost every American. And consequently, they could cherry pick the very uh, best, I should say, clients, least likely to fall into illness, and generate tremendous revenue and leave those that are most at risk behind. And that's, of course, the whole issue that Republicans and Democrats are fighting over in terms of pre-existing conditions anyway with the Affordable Affordable Care Act. So that's something I'm going to keep a very close eye on. I hadn't heard of this until recently, and now I'm beginning to pick up on Capitol Hill this concern that because of Amazon's extraordinary market power, and more importantly, their really unimaginable database on every American, they have the capacity to disrupt any sector they really want, as they're doing in the food sector now, by Whole Foods.
and they're likely to to focus in on healthcare as their next target. So, if Amazon were to cherry pick the lowest risks, um, and I would be surprised to find, parenthetically, if the lowest risks were not also correlated with the highest incomes, um, because given the given the challenges that poverty uh, uh, pose for health and disease, uh, it would seem to me that uh, those who can afford um, the best diets, the best exercise, taking care of themselves, um, uh, and uh, up to now the best health care uh, would be at lowest risk. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm, well, if I may, let yeah. me just... The other important part isn't just cherry-picking those with the lowest risk based on those factors. The database that Amazon holds literally can tell what your weight is, what you eat, how many hours a night you sleep, and all of those, including some genetics as well. How, wait so a second. All of, how is that possible? I, I haven't told I haven't. I bought stuff on Amazon, but I don't. They don't. I haven't told them what I weigh. I haven't told them how many night, how many hours a night I sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, what time did you go on Amazon to purchase your goods? Uh-huh. Um, also, what did you buy if you bought any si- uh, clothing? The size of that clothing. Oh. is part of the database. Oh. It's really extraordinary. I mean, I do recommend to you and to your listeners to um, either go online and, and look for uh, Mr. Callaway um, in an interview he just gave with PBS or his book called The Four, which is this in-depth look at uh, the four major media companies, Amazon being primary. But I'm really seeing that he has a extraordinary track record of predicting what's going to happen next. And more importantly, as I said, I was picking up on Capitol Hill among some of the electeds, this concern about health care being a sector of the economy that's in such disarray that it's so ripe for disruption. As we know, the major and most successful companies today are those that have found a way to disrupt traditional methods. It's everything from Facebook, it's everything from Amazon, and it's everything from shoes. Look at the most successful shoe company today is called Allbirds, uh, a New Zealand um, rugby player, an American engineer. They come up with a new concept of comfortable shoes using wool and all natural goods, and it's the fastest growing shoe company in America. One would have said Three years ago, there is no room for another shoe company, but there is, and that's true in healthcare because that is such an extraordinarily large, powerful, and um, economically challenged sector in the economy. So we started this segment of the conversation um, talking a little bit about uh, your views on what Democrats uh, need to do to win the White House. and. Uh, if, if in terms of issues, uh, health care, as it was in the midterm, is a paramount driving force in the minds of the electorate um, and a concern for everybody across the board as well as those who shepherd the larger issues around the economy. If health care is the issue, won't Democrats 
have to tie that issue to underlying values. Uh, the question of whether or not health care is a right or a privilege. Won't Democrats have to overcome the rugged individualism of the American voter who says, I don't want the government taking over my health care? Isn't that still at work here in this in the entire debate about whether or not there needs to be a ubiquitous government option to 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 provide universal health care uh, don't aren't we still in our thinking well behind uh, the rest of the world in understanding that um, health care for all means a more productive happier healthier smarter better economy and society, and how do Democrats uh, get around those kinds of arguments which have been pounded into the electorate for years and years by corporate America and Republicans? Truly a challenge, and before I answer that, let me just correct my pronunciation of Mr. Galloway, mm-hmm. the the author who has seen the future as it relates to Amazon and healthcare, Scott Galloway. That is the dilemma, and it can be summed up in this way. Talking to farmers, as I have in East Texas, Oklahoma, elsewhere, if I talk about climate change, they will deny it. Immediately, it's reactive, it's instinctual. What climate change? If I talk to them about what they've experienced in terms of weather during the last five to ten years on their farms and ranches. They'll be very specific. It's cataclysmic oftentimes. It's horrible. They can't plan. They've never seen anything like it. That's led me to believe your point. The federal government has, in general, a very toxic reaction from a large number of Americans. It's like going to Colorado and talking about the environment. You'll lose 50% of the state. If you talk about conservation, you have 100% of the state. There's really no difference, except environment is left-wing, liberal, progressive, democratic policies, federal government, conservation, everyone from gun-toting neo-Nazis to left-wing, liberal, progressive Democrats can agree on because they've all seen the shrinking of the streams, the shrinking of the hunting lands, the degradation of their outdoor natural resources. So we need to invent a new vocabulary, number one. Number two, the ultimate challenge is when you have so many people denying at the federal level, particularly, that there is any change in anything having to do with the environment or with uh, the economy and using so many lies to support their own position. I worry that it will be very difficult to get back to any fact-based conversation. A great example would be it doesn't matter anymore at all what is causing um, global warming, to use what for many is a federal word. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's man-made. It doesn't matter whether it's naturally occurring or a combination of both. Because we're at the stage of adaptation now. Mitigation long ago slipped through our fingers. We're looking at sea level rise um, in, in feet now in the next couple of decades. 
that's going to hit every coastline, including New Hampshire. So Donald Trump is um, focused on the wrong borders. The real borders he should be focused on are our coastlines. So Peter Emerson, Peter, I'm sorry, we're going to have to end it there and wrap it up for today. We're going to have you back to continue this conversation. But what you're saying is uh, we need truth and we need the right language to be able to reach people with an emotionally resonant message. And we need to listen to people talking about their experiences on their level, right. not what we see or perceive here from Washington. Righto. Peter Emerson on Off the Record with Paul Hodes, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. We'll be back after this to wrap up this edition of Off the Record. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, and other forms of memory impairment. Well, we had a wonderful, wide-ranging discussion here on Off the Record. Chris Ryan and I talked about Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. More importantly, we talked about disaster preparedness for this Sunday's Patriots game. Fire up your cell phones, folks. If the power goes down, you want to be prepared to stream that game and fire up those propane smokers. And Peter Emerson took us on a tour of really important issues around politics happening right now. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. You can call 224-9111 to find out more about this special community for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Thanks to our great sponsor. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes.